When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan, and welcome to the show, everybody. Make sure that you're subscribed. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. And if you've been around for a while and you have an artist that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, if you love the show, click the Patreon link below, become a patron. You get episodes early and special access to our favorite segment, the Bad Music Podcast, where we talk about the six worst songs from our artists that week. Which, drumroll please, Lucas, what are we talking about today? Okay, so the first episode of every month is always dedicated to an artist that we have already covered. So this, yeah, is, yeah. Our, this is our return. I like to usually maybe talk about an artist's early years or a specific uh, type of song that they would like. Like, say, like, you know, when we did our Led Zeppelin volume two we concentrated on their epic songs uh maybe do a live album but tonight we are talking about mr stevie wonder feeling about that as How soon you- as soon as you said last episode or whenever it was ethan's gonna like this artist i'm like it's definitely stevie wonder because you know ethan's a ethan's a keyboard guy I don't know. It, like, I feel like Stevie Wonder was a more popular episode. It's not like one of the top ones, but it's not one of the bottom ones either. Yeah. No. Um, so we're going to be talking about Stevie Wonder's early years. So specifically, we're going to be talking about his first decade of releasing music because and that's still he, a lot to cover. Yeah, uh, I think like thirteen albums. Um, before he even started what is referred to as his classic period, which is where our first episode on Stevie Wonder really focused on that that five album run from seventy one to seventy six. That yeah. included uh, "Music of My Mind," "Talking Book," "Inner Visions," yeah. uh, "Fulfilled," "First Finale," and "Songs in the Key of Life." So we're going to be going before that because. Th- it's still a massive amount of music and a, a lot of great music released. A lot of his biggest hits are tucked away in this pre-classic period area. You'll be surprised by hearing these songs just go, oh, like everyone knows this song. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go ahead and start with our first thoughts. So Grant, when I say that we're talking about Stevie Wonder, what what is that? 
make you feel? Like somewhere between smooth jazz and pop. Because I don't know a lot of Stevie Wonder. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Superstitious, right? And superstition. Super, very superstitious. That's why I call it Superstitious, okay? Yeah. But uh, see, I, I don't I, even know I'm, that, sick, I I'm getting ahead of the, the co- angry comments that we would get. I'm so <laughs> sorry. You know, you got the people that say, you know, how did you know that Stevie Ray Vaughan didn't originally write (laughs) Little Wayne? Well, that just goes to show you how little I know, I guess. (laughs) Um, But no, I don't know a whole lot about Stevie Wonder. I mean, honestly, we had the first episode. This is a volume two, you know. Um, I have, I mean, other than that episode, I haven't explored Stevie Wonder at all pretty much i'm not super familiar with this story i mean uh it it hit i don't know just i was never interested in stevie wonder and i haven't been and i guess this would be my first opportunity on a volume two which is really weird to get into stevie wonder um which sounds kind of lazy on my part but that's just the way it is so i really am at like a five okay so fresh fresh ground i'm kind of fresh i guess it's good to always have that anyway yeah ethan i would say i am probably a, somewhere between a seven and an eight I, and and here's so seven is like there are some songs of theirs that i love and there are stevie wonder songs that i love in pretty much any song that i hear i like you know that that he does almost wow. all of them and then, well, the only thing that's keeping me from an eight is that I've been a little bit intimidated by just the discography. So I haven't ever sat down and really, like, methodically gone through his stuff, you know? There's the tracks that I always end up returning to. Um, but, like, man, Intervi- <laughs> like, Intervisions is just so good, you know? <laughs> Like That's... everything from the classic period is just so good, and uh-huh. and songs in the key of life is so good, and there's songs on there that I will always return to that I love. But I don't know if I could say that I'm an eight, like where I know and love most of his songs. You know, I yep. would almost be there. I'm not a nine because I've never really like been like I'm gonna go listen to the deep cuts. I love them so much. I'm gonna know all of the stuff. So I think I could really close be an eight and i'm excited i'll probably i'll probably be an eight by the end but i'll at least know the pathway like what of the what of the deep cuts to go for mm-hmm. that's where i'm at now is i just need someone to point me in the right direction yeah all right well i mean i i felt like i got pretty familiar with him when i did the first rec- mm-hmm. first episode uh but i really only listened to that that five album run and i still haven't listened to past it because uh creating the ranked playlist for this episode yeah. because there's so much before i just i my i was originally going to be really ambitious to try to do the whole thing but by the time i was getting to fulfilling this first finale and songs of the key yeah, of life, i don't have time <laughs> to yeah. go past this i gotta stop did you ever this. make it to original uh original musicarium no i didn't 
which my dad was very apt to remind me that I'm missing one of his best songs ever from there with Do I Do. Yeah, dude. It's it's Eventually. stupidly good. Volume three, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I before I did the first episode, I I mean obviously there's there's those Stevie Wonder songs that you just you know because they're on the radio so much and they're in yeah. in, in in movies, TV shows, and he had a bunch of songs on rock band that I got familiar with on there. So like you know, everyone knows Superstition. Everyone knows Sir Duke. Everyone knows I Wish. Yeah. Um you Master know. Blaster. Yeah. Um, higher ground. Like those are just those are songs that have transcended even being like even his happy birthday. Yeah. Like I've got a friend that literally every year she sends me the Stevie Wonder happy birthday song. Every year. Did you, you have the sunshine of my life? Yeah. And I mean there's, there's so much. Isn't she lovely? It's just you could literally keep going. And he's one of those artists that is not just one of the greatest of his era. Like, if you take the entire music, he is one of the great musical minds that has ever walked the face of the planet. Yep. And I do not say that lightly. He is... Isn't he on the uh, the record that's in space? Yes. I believe so. I wow. can't recall to you what song. I want to say it's Higher Ground. Um, but, I mean, he's he is one of the few songwriters that could go toe-to-toe with McCartney and as far as just for taking the title of greatest songwriter I mean he's got the he's on the same musical level as even the Mozarts and the like when you really take a look at what he did it's staggering it's truly staggering what he accomplished because uh, he did just about everything himself. He, we talk about, uh, we've talked about in previous uh, episodes recently about people that have made albums completely by themselves, mm-hmm. Foo Fighters and Nine Inch Nails. Stevie Wonder was really the first to do that. Wow. All those, all those out, except for Songs of the Key of Life, all those records in that classic period, he played every instrument and wrote completely by himself and self produced. Yeah. <laughs> While being blind. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, that's like, wow. And then add on top of that, he's got one of the greatest voices of all time. He's one of the greatest instrumentalists that's ever lived. He can play just about every instrument better than most people. Um, And then just his sense of composition is just one of the, he's one of the most brilliant to ever do it. He's he's just that level of artist, and then, and then the he's got the he's got the hits, he's got the sales, he's got nine number ones. We talk about how rare it is to even get a number one. You can usually value an artist by how many number ones do you have. He's got nine of them. He got his first number one when he was twelve years old. Oh wow. So, but I I completely realize that I'm already going off on conversation. I'm starting off before doing the research for this episode at a very strong eight. Yeah. 
Because that that when I really for the first time listened to the classic period, I was just like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize just how incredible he was. Because I just knew the hits, and I had no idea at the time that he did everything. I just thought that he was the singer and the keyboard player. Yeah. So, so. I remember you talking about. Uh, I mean, even you've already said like he got his first number one whenever he was twelve. Mm-hmm. So I don't. How did? I guess how did he grow up? Like, what, did he just have a super musical household? No, he. He really he he's another one of those artists that was born in like some of the worst scenarios. Oh no! Obviously, he was blind from birth. Yeah. So he wasn't someone that could see and then lost it as he got yeah. old. Like he has never known sight his entire life. Wow. Um, his mother was a prostitute at the time that she got pregnant with. Him. And lived with a very abusive father and was the youngest of three brothers and just in a way this shaped him to be so independent because he lived in an environment where he could not be uh, helped. Yeah, No one babied him. No one uh, was went easy on him. Like, he was constantly in situations where it's just like, you've got to operate the way that we do, or you're not going to make it. Hmm. They lived in the slums, and just, he had to, he had to learn how to adapt very quickly. But in a way, the fact that he went through all of this while blind, it yeah. all way preserved a, this optimism in him, because he never saw really you know, he had this different way. And he has talked about many times that he's just like, I can see, and I can probably see better than the rest of you guys that have your sight. Mm. Because I see more. I, I I pay attention to things more. I, my other senses have become so strong that I might as well, because it's one of the endless debates throughout music is the whole is Stevie Wonder actually blind and I guess really if you wanted to play with semantics you could say no he isn't because his other senses help him so like he had a trick where he would have people put coins on a table and he could tell you exactly how much change you just put without touching them that's crazy because he could hear the difference in the way that the change hit the table he could hear the, the density of each coin He'd be like, well, you've got a quarter, three dimes, and five pennies. <laughs> and, you know, like, when you when you see videos and of, of him, like, people don't help him places. He doesn't have someone that's, like, holding him by the... Unless it's, like, a very abnormally dangerous area. Yeah. Like, when he walks in a room, like, he just walks around. He knows where he's going. He, somehow he he when he when people are talking to him he looks at them he he knows who someone is before he starts to talk to them because he like can he smells them he he picks up on all these things to where it's like 
they, they people would say they're freaked out because they would like come up behind him and he would turn around and say hey then call him by their name that's wow. crazy i never heard about that yeah and of course you know he sometimes would take it to the extreme and like have people that would like tell him things ahead of time oh, like yeah. and to where he'd someone come and go i love that yellow dress <laughs> it's like what <laughs> and it's because some he was playing a prank yeah on- because he had someone tell him beforehand, hey, so-and-so is going to come in with a yellow dress. <laughs> At but, least he was good-hearted about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the ultimate prankster. <laughs> he always had a very – and it's, you know, that's when you think of Stevie Wonder, he's always got, like, this this huge smile on his yeah. face. He's always laughing and cutting jokes. Like, that's who Stevie is. It was – he's someone that – he's – the difference between a lot of these other artists that are born and live in such dire circumstances and it makes them very hollow. Yeah. He, and he did the opposite. It made him so strong and so optimistic that it just, it, he learned so quickly to, to prosper in adversity. Yeah. He just, he had that attitude about him that nothing was going to stop him. So how did he so he just got into music just so he he benefited from being in the right place at the right time. So if when we're going to talk about Stevie Wonder, we have to talk about because that's where Stevie Wonder recorded the bulk of his material. Hmm. So when people think of Motown, a lot of people don't realize what Motown is because whenever they're unique in a sense that because they're a record label yeah but there's people that say i want to listen to some motown you don't say that about any other label you don't say i want to listen to some atlantic i want to listen to some columbia i want to listen to some metal blade like Mm -hmm. you usually call by a genre but motown in of itself has kind of become a genre it's its own thing because it was so first uh well obviously the motown Motown like the, the label like yeah uh-huh so the label created the genre it didn't cre- it didn't create a genre but it created a new way to present it because uh soul and r&b existed in the 50s i mean that's where right yeah. sam cook and and all those artists really got their start it's just that when Barry Gordy, who is the leader of Motown, the the mastermind, he figured out a way to make R&B and soul uh, applicable to uh, the white pop charts. Because it was – that genre had very little crossover success before Motown. Hmm. He found a formula to – crank hit after hit after hit and i mean besides the beatles motown was what ruled the charts in the 60s until like the end of the decade like like 63 to 67 it was either the beatles or motown at number one (laughs) and it's telling that the beatles took a lot of inspiration from motown they covered a ton of motown tunes in their early records so right place, right time. Yeah, so uh, Motown was based in Detroit, and that's where Stevie Wonder lived. So, um, and he had a school f- 
friend that his uh, I want to say it's his cousin was a member of the Miracles, which was led by Smokey Robinson, who is one of the most just iconic figures in music, period. He was one of the main writers for a lot of those Motown hits. And of course, he had his own group, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. That was Motown's kind of first big group. They pretty much helped establish Motown as a hit-making force. And so um, Stevie Wonder, and I, I can't remember the friend's name, but he played guitar. And so they kind of created this little double act for themselves. And so Stevie Wonder was just like, hey, you know, your uncle's in with the miracles. Tell him to get us a, an audition. Motown. Hmm. And so there, and so because of the fact that he was related to someone in the miracles, they were like, okay, sure, we'll give these kids a chance. And once Stevie Wonder got in front of them, they were all blown away. Because even at the age of 11, he knew how to play most everything. Well, and he always, they said that he always had this, this insane confidence about him. <laughs> like he didn't, he wasn't this little kid just going, please, sir, will you, he was just like, you better sign me because I'm going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And he did. <laughs> I would say the only bigger person to come out of Motown was Michael Jackson. Yeah. Because that's where the Jackson Five got started, was in Motown. So, I mean, he he absolutely was not bluffing. He he was worth it. But of course, you know, saying that as eleven year old to these guys that were you know industry pros, it was just they were they were taken by his talent, but they were even more taken by his ambition. Yeah. But at the same time, in the beginning, and for quite a while as he was growing up, he was never really taken very seriously yeah. by a lot of the upper – because he was the little blind kid. Yeah. So in a way, one, they didn't quite know what to do with him because this is before all of the other big child star – Oh. Like, really the first. So they didn't really – and they didn't. There wasn't like already a schema for like, oh, he's we're gonna we're gonna market him as the kid, you know. Well, I mean, they his stage name for his first couple of years was Little Stevie Wonder. Oh, and by the way, I didn't. I completely glossed over this, but Stevie Wonder is not his real name. Oh, his his real name. Well, there's really three names, and we don't really know what the real one is. Because we don't know where his birth certificate was, and he went by three different last names growing up. We do know that his real first name is Steveland, not Stevie. Hmm. Oh. And it's either Steveland Junkins, Steveland Hardaway, or Steveland Miller. He went by all three of those, and we don't know what his actual legal birth name is. Because hmm. his mother's name was Hardaway. His father's name was Judkins, and then and then we don't know where the Miller came from, but that's what his mother had him sign his first Motown contracts under was Stevelyn Miller, and even Stevie Wonder is just like the right Miller. I don't know where that name came from. So, 
um, he he got the name Stevie Wonder because everyone called him the Wonder Kid. Oh, that's cool. And so, so they just started calling him Stevie Wonder, and it stuck. <laughs> yeah, it really did stick. It's a good name. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, his first couple records, like he he sounds like a little kid. Like he's got the really high voice. He doesn't, you know, it doesn't. You listen to it, it's just like this doesn't sound like Stevie Wonder at all. And yeah, uh, like there was just there was no Michael Jackson yet. There was no, um, you know, all the all the child stars that we have now. Like that wasn't a thing back then. I mean, I guess you could look back and say someone like Shirley Temple or but even then it wasn't like you were making pop music. Yeah, it was it was definitely a new thing. And um, of course, because he was blind, you know, they're wanted to try and make the Ray Charles connection. His his first record that came out was called A Tribute to Uncle Ray. Hmm. And it was the whole thing was Ray Charles covers. Hmm. And it do? Oh, it did terribly. And his next album was an all instrumental jazz record. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be. And so they were like they didn't know what to do with them. So did they choose those things, those projects for him? Yes, because the thing about Motown is that artists had zero artistic control. Wow! Like you had to be but a. He didn't write any of the stuff off that instrumental. No. And he didn't write stuff for quite a while because he wasn't allowed to. If he brought stuff, they'd be like, "No, we know what's best for you to to sing." and to play well and so apparently not yeah and i mean it worked for a lot of their artists because they they didn't stevie wonder was rare in the fact that he was in an instrumentalist and singer they usually just went for singers and they had their own studio in-house band that would play on everything and then they would just go find other people to go on tour with them hmm in fact, that's how Marvin Gaye started. He came in as a drummer. He played on Stevie Wonder's first couple of records as the drums. Oh, wow. Before he started doing his own songs. And it was just, there was this there was this way of doing things. Barry Gordy, Smokey Robinson, and a couple of the other guys wrote or found all the songs. And they would divvy them up. And usually Stevie got kind of like the scraps. Because... Yeah. He's a little kid. And the contract that he was in was very uh, controlling. You mean they they wouldn't let him do his own instruments? They would, but they would tell him, hey, you're going to play this on here. You're going to play that on there. So he would play harmonica. He would play drums now and then. He would play keyboard. But when he wanted to or when they would let him? When they would let him. And they would be pretty specific on how he was going to play them, too. Yeah. Okay. There was a sound to Mo. There's a reason. Again, it goes back to why you can say how I want to listen to Motown because there was a very specific sound to it, and you don't deviate yeah, from that sense. because that's what sells records, and it worked for a while. But the problem with that is that once tastes start to change, yeah, then it starts to become harder. So. Stevie Wonder's first number one was a song called Fingertips, 
I want you to I'm going to explain to you how bizarre of a number one this is. It is one an instrumental. Two, it's live. And three, it's from a 12-year-old kid. Like live like It's from live. it's it's from a it's from a concert album. A live album. That is weird. And why was it so well received? Because it had this energy. Um, and what he did was he went off script when he was playing it and he started going into this call and response. It's very Freddie Mercury. You can tell that Freddie pulled a lot like it. I say, yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, yeah. I say, come on, come on. And it's awesome. just, you can definitely feel that there's a novelty to it. That you can, that's almost like this, it's this, it's so weird that it caught people's attention. And it just, it went to number one. But he didn't get another number one until his classic period with Superstition. Wow. Ten years later. But then once that happened, he just started collecting number ones like they were king. (laughs) That's funny. But yeah, that's the lone number one of his. Now, of course, he would top the R and B charts multiple times, but top, topping the pop charts that only yeah. happened during the the early period, the first ten years. So during this early period, wait, I guess you just answered my question. During this early period, he released thirteen albums. Roughly, albums. I would have to do the. I would have to like go back and count, but it's about that much. Like he was releasing, you know, the 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 standard at the time of doing like two sometimes three albums a year oh wow okay so that oh my and that's because they just didn't know what to do with him yeah i mean barry gordy you can tell just did not take him seriously and so he wasn't giving him great quality material either writing it for him or trying to find stuff that he felt would really and so there was a two-edged sword they were upset with Stevie that he wasn't giving them hits, but at the same time, they wouldn't let him make a hit. Mm-hmm. It was just Steve and Stevie got very frustrated by this because he felt like he was being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then all of a sudden fingertips goes number one, knocks everyone off guard. And by the way, that is the first live song to ever go number one. Mm-hmm. That had never happened before in the history of music. Wow. So, set a precedent, and of course, like, in the wake of it, they were trying to make another fingertips, and it just never worked. <laughs> and then right at that time, his he, he started to go through puberty. His voice changed. And that's mm. actually where a good portion of when we get to the Bad Music podcast, Aww. where songs are. The junior high period. Yep. Mm. Where they're, trying, where they're trying to get him to keep singing like he used to, but he can't do it anymore. And then finally, when his voice settles into the, the, the sound that we know it as, then he finally told Barry Gore, he's just like, listen, I've got songs. Give me a co-writer. I, let's just let's figure out a way. And that's kind of when he finally started to get some momentum because he was about to get dropped 
and they had tried everything else and he just would kept bugging them just going i got songs i got songs i got songs they're like fine here here's a here's one of our writers let's see if we can make something work and that's when he started releasing songs like uptight and um for once in my life and my sherry amore and and all these these classic era songs started to form Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time like at this point once we get into the late 60s Barry Gordy really started to um, lose his his ear because there was there ended up being only two people on Motown that he really cared about one was the Jackson 5 he just he he saw something special in that group and specifically in Michael and then uh, the Supremes, namely Diana Ross, because they had given him five number one singles in a row and he started having an affair with Diana. And so he started filtering all the hits to them and he started ignoring artists like Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder. And because of that, the artists that were true artists like Gay and Wonder, they started to rise to the top because they had the musical gift. Yeah. These other artists that were um, relying on him to provide them hits, they all sunk to the bottom because he was he was all the best material he was coming across, giving first to the Supremes, then to the Jackson Five. Yeah. And leaving everyone else to kind of fend for themselves. And so there will be instances, and I'll explain a couple of them when we get to the song segments, where Stevie Wonder is bringing him a hit record. And we know it's a hit because it becomes a hit. And Barry Gordy goes, no, that's not a hit. I don't want to release it. Well. And then when things get desperate, it needs a hit. He goes, okay, fine, put it out. And it becomes like a number one artist. <laughs> And it just goes to show at this point that he has kind of lost his way. Yeah. He's let personal delusions kind of get in the way of what made him so great at the beginning of Motown was that he had an ear for a hit record. He knew he could hear something and go, that's a hit. He couldn't do that anymore. And mm -hmm. especially then when the music industry started to change in 67 and 68 and the charts were starting to be more dominated by very serious message driven songs mm -hmm. then he couldn't he couldn't adapt and that's when wonder and marvin gay like were able to break free so what year was that like more specifically 70 when what's going on came out so really actually 71 Marvin Gaye came out that was like one of the most game-changing records in the history of music because Motown and really uh, black music in general like was not centered around having a strong social political message Barry Gordy's insistence was that we have to make the songs as as pure and as innocent and as free from controversy as possible because that's what white audiences want but what he realized was that the counterculture had completely changed. People wanted socially conscious music at that time. This is, you know, this is the time of Bob Dylan. This is the time of um, 
you know, all these other artists that are really saying something with their music. I mean, the Beatles completely changed that. And um, when Marvin Gaye released that, Stevie Wonder was just like, I have to do that too because I'm tired of making this music, this anemic, mm. boring music. Because he had been doing that for like almost 10 years, I guess. Yeah, because he his first record came out in 62. Wow. And so at that point, he was almost 21 at this point. And he had a clause in his contract that once he turned 21, he had the ability to null his contract with Motown. And so the last album of that period was called Where I'm Coming From. And that's kind of the cutoff. Because then after that, he gets a new deal with Motown where he gets like 15% royalty, which was like an unprecedented level at that time. Wow. And then also negotiated that he gets full creative control over his so music. where I'm coming Wait. from was the last one before he was 21 or the first one out of it? The, the first one before 21. And on that record, he was able to get creative freedom, but he didn't have the royalty. And it was pretty much like Barry Gors was like, okay, you want to try and make your own record? Let's see how you do. And it actually didn't do well, but mm -hmm. Um, it was a it was a experimental record. It was the first record that he made where he had full control of what he was doing, that there were no cover songs. It was a completely original Stevie Wonder record, the first one that he had made. And it's where you start to see the stuff like the clavinet coming in and a lot of the studio effects that he would be known for. It's when he started to be a lot more sophisticated with the chords that he's using and the words that he's saying. And kind of all of the Stevie-isms are born there, yet you can tell that they're unrefined. It's kind of like all of a sudden now he has freedom. He's kind of like, okay, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And in a way, the first record with his extended freedom where he does not have any obligation to make a hit he can just make the album completely route. It's another kind of growing record, the music of my mind. And then when Talking Book comes after that, that's kind of like it's all fully formed. He's ready to take over the world now. And that's, you know, Talking Book's got superstition. You are the sunshine of my life. And that's like once yeah. once that record comes out, it's just there's no looking back. Yeah. So he has two transition records. One at the end of his beginning period and one at the beginning of the classic period. You can see them as part one and part two of him figuring out what he really wants to do and experimenting with a lot of technology and freedom. Hmm. And so we are going to have a couple of songs from the Where I'm Coming From record. And you can hear it's just like Stevie is just about there. Yeah you can tell that he is on the cusp of tapping into that. Not to say that there weren't brilliant songs before, but they're, they're not ambitious. They're kind of more of just like really great, simple pop songs. Yeah. Where, where I'm coming from didn't never had an obvious single. And so it didn't have any hit songs on it, but you can hear that he's, he's trying to do something bigger than that. Yeah. He's trying to make a legitimate artistic statement. Yeah. Dang. So that's that's pretty much the story. 
of this beginning period. It's literally you can hear him growing and maturing because yeah. you're hearing him when he's an 11 year old kid all the way up to he's 21. This might be a spoiler, but like, or you might give us a spoiler. But did you construct the set like to be like from young, from younger to older? No. I actually didn't feature any of the songs from when he was young, young, because most of them were not very good. Oh, okay. Cool. And also, I, I considered, like, doing something like Fingertips, and then I heard it, I was just like, there, I have no idea of how I could put this into the... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. The, the only, like, when I started, because I didn't really know a whole lot about this period, but there was there was a song that I knew, I was just like, no matter what, this song is going to start that. Yeah, I think I know the song that you were talking about, but probably. So, um, so yeah, you can you can literally hear him growing and maturing. You can hear, especially like you can physically hear, like you can hear his voice maturing. You can hear him getting better, so even after his voice changes. You can continue to hear him get more confident in it to learn more yeah. techniques. To um, you can hear the more complex ideas he's starting to inject. You can hear him becoming a better writer as he goes. It's, it's, you rarely ever get the opportunity to hear someone mature like that. Right. To literally start from, because most people are already adults when they start their music career. Yeah. And then usually a lot of time, the ones that start off as kids, it's, they don't turn into anything super great. I mean, really, you've just got him and Michael. Hmm. So it's just, it's fascinating to hear him grow into one of the greatest musical minds of all time. Man. And so that was, that was definitely the most fascinating part of this is just is going through the store and just going, okay, we're getting there. Oh, we every album we're moving closer. It really yeah. is like every album got better. Wow. Or if it didn't get better, it introduced something essential yeah. Evie Wonder um recipe. And so that's the that's the whole point of this episode is is showing the building blocks that got us to where we were in our volume one. Yes, while also again showcasing some truly great songs. Right, this there, is the good music podcast after all. Yes, uh, but yeah, it's it's more so than most other artists. You get to see the creation of a genius. All right. Ooh, well, you've hyped it up. Mm-hmm. You've hyped it up. I'm ready. All right. Ready. We'll go ahead and take a break here. When we come back. We're going to talk about the six songs we have picked for Stevie Wonder's early years. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode of the Good Music Podcast is brought to you by Southern Safe Rooms. When severe weather threatens, you want the maximum protection for you and those you love. If an intruder forces their way into your home, you need a secure space for you and your family to take shelter in order to stay safe. If you want a secure place to store your guns, guitars, or other valuables like drums, a custom shelter is the solution you need. 
Southern Safe Rooms builds custom certified safe rooms that can be installed in your home, garage, workshop, or anywhere you have a concrete reinforced slab. Southern Safe Rooms builds all of our safe rooms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can install them on any reinforced concrete slab. The Southern Safe Rooms custom storm shelters can withstand wind speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. Southern Safe Rooms have been tested by Texas Tech University and are built to exceed FEMA standards to withstand an EF5 tornado. The Southern Certified Safe Room is constructed with the highest quality materials, far exceeding conventional storm shelter construction. With over 110 years, count them, of steel manufacturing experience, Southern Safe Rooms knows how to build a secure shelter for your home. Call 918-584-3371 or visit our website, southernsaferooms.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Stevie Wonder in this volume two episode and we're talking about his early years and now it is time to get to the six songs for this episode so for those of you who are new welcome we're glad you're here and lucas can you explain to them what the purpose of this segment is so this is our opportunity to kind of just get really uh concrete about everything that we've been talking about you know we talk about the setting around the music now we can talk about the music itself so um normally i would use this to introduce you to the artist but with this being a uh, volume two this is now going to just be continuing to give a deeper look into the artist so um it's not me just picking my six favorites or um what are the six most popular but rather giving you a great overview of this time period in general while also creating a cohesive list that flows well from start to finish that uh, has great transitions and that at the end gives you a emotional cathartic experience so uh, Grant and Ethan have no idea what songs I'm going to be playing so they're going to be hearing these songs for the first time so um If you want to follow along with them, we're going to count down and hit play. You can go and uh, check out these songs on our Spotify playlist. There's a link in the description. You can uh, kind of almost have like a little commentary track. So if you want to participate in that, you can. But let's go ahead and get started with our first song. I said before that it was like I already knew that this is what I wanted to start the set with because this is for a long time been one of my favorite Stevie Wonder songs. Um, so we're going to start off with For Once in My Life. All right. Thank you. you guys ready? Yep. Yep. Go ahead and count it off. Three, two, one, play. So For Once is uh, one of Stevie Wonder's most well-known songs. And this was a song that he actually did not write. But he has by far the most popular version of this song. This song was written about two years prior. And most people that play this, that aren't playing the Stevie Wonder version, play this as a slow ballad. Which is just so bizarre to think of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because this arrangement is so fun and so upbeat. Oh, yeah. Um, He recorded this in 68 when he was only 17 years old. Wow. 
He brought it to Barry Gordy, and Barry Gordy said, that's not a hit, shelve it. Which, listening to the song, to not hear that this is a hit is just mind-boggling. Yeah. I would say of all the things in his classic period, this is one of the most surefire hits yeah. of his career. In fact, this... I I would wager to say that this is the best song he made during this period. During the early period, you mean? Yeah, I mean this. This is this is about as as brilliant of a pop song as you can think of. Dude, yeah, that that random. Bum, 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 and then yeah, run into the key change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't follow the rhythm at the beginning, and then when the drums like really come in, it's like it gets you moving. Now. I feel sometimes gets overlooked is Stevie Wonder's harmonica playing. Yeah. I would wager to say that he's probably the greatest harmonica player of all time. <laughs> That's probably true. I've never heard anyone play a harmonica better than him. I've and never looked to be fair. I've never, I've never been like best harmonica player ever, but he's definitely the most prolific. Yeah, um, the only other harmonica player I know is Ozzy. So I have to say, yeah, Stevie is a uh, better <laughs> I mean, it's just, it doesn't even sound like a harmonica. It's so crisp. It's not yeah. the, you don't hear the blending of the notes together. It's always so crystal clear. Yeah, that's true. And it has so much soul in it. It's such a quantized instrument, too. Yeah. It's, it's like you have to play this note this way kind of thing. And yet, mm-hmm. man, that was a pretty, I didn't even realize it was a harmonica. I thought it would have been some kind of, like electric keyboard. keyboard or something. All right, we're getting to the end of the song. Got to fade out. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So these, uh, so these songs are gonna move quickly. All right, three, two, one. Oh, yep. There I didn't is. realize this was a Stevie Wonder song. Yep. This, even though, you know, for once in my life is is probably the best song. This is definitely the biggest, most recognized song, early period. You would you, this song. I feel like could sit in the classic period, just because of just how did he write this? Yes, this he did write this song, and uh, one of the co-writers was his mother. Wow, because he was he was sitting in uh, at home on the piano working on the song, and he he sung the line "Here I Am, Baby," and from the other room, his mom yelled, "Sign, seal, delivered." And he was just like, oh, that's a good idea, Mom. And so he gave her songwriting credit for it. Oh, that's nice. So uh, and if you look in the, in the credits, got uh, Lula Mae Hardaway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, this, you've got that electric sitar in the beginning, which is so iconic. And at this point, it's just this. You can hear just the pure confidence in his voice with the with the yells, and yeah. he's just he is in his. This is the record he did right before where I'm coming from. So yeah. This sounds seventy, and it's just wow. like this was the last record that he made, the Motown way. I mean, this is pretty good though. But they let him write it. Uh huh. Hmm. So he was at this point he was gaining a lot more control, but at the end of the day, he he couldn't release anything that wasn't approved by Motown. We got like a minute left, by the way. Yeah. 
So, you know, he didn't have the complete freedom to be like, it's going to be this way. Like he could, he could say, Hey, this is what I want to do, but they could veto it. So this shows though, how much stronger of a writer he was becoming at this point. Hmm. Yeah. I love this song. Yeah. Same. It's about as close. Is he playing all the instruments on this? No. So he also was not really doing that yet. It wasn't until where I'm coming from that he started to really take the full instrumental approach. Yeah. Oh, another fade out? Mm-hmm. Another fade out. I mean, you know, I, can't get it, on to It's the way it was back then. All right, that's fair. It's, you know, that's because that's how, that's how you guaranteed uh that the, the time limit would be exactly the way you wanted it. You can just fade out whenever you want. That's why sometimes you'll hear songs and the fade outs are so strange. It's because they hit <laughs> uh, that limit of oh, we can't have a single longer than this. Well, speaking right, so of longer, this one's a whole minute longer than the other two. Uh-huh. So this was a song that surprised me because obviously the first two I knew already. And now when yeah. we get to this point in the set, it was getting into stuff that I was really hearing for the first time. This is a Bob Dylan cover. Blown and, in the wind. Yeah, this is one of the most important songs probably ever written because mm-hmm. this was this was one of the Bob Dylan's first songs. But it was the song that made him famous. This was like his first hit back in like 63 or 64. And it was the first song to have this kind of message that was so uh, socially conscious and kind of this was the type of song that caught the ear of the Beatles to make them go we need to change what we're writing mm. so like this is one of the most important songs it changed the entire direction of pop music and so just that in of itself makes it important but then I didn't realize I just was just like oh this is a really great cover of this but then I found out later that one, I didn't even know this was released as a single, but it's a number one R&B single. Mm-hmm. And this was a gold standard of this was the first song released on Motown to have socially conscious lyrics. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first of all, what year is this? This came out, I believe, in uh, 66. Oh, wow. And what is it about? So it's really – it's got a very general message. The Bob Dylan said he wrote this to be to where anyone could apply it to anything. Mm-hmm. It's all its all about the search for freedom, about people that are trapped in whatever place they are, and that he's saying that whatever, wherever you are, the answer is blowing in the wind. And he said that that can be interpreted two ways. One, mm-hmm. it could be that the answer is right in front of you reach out and grab it or that the answer is elusive that no matter mm. how how much you go for it it's all just going to disappear is this in the the period where his voice is like in the middle ground this is the the first album after his voice finished changing but he's still learning how to use it but i think that this this almost has a bit of a magic to it yeah his for being what fifteen at the time of recording this, he sounds really good. Yeah, and he does such a 
I've done enough research now of 60s music. Literally everyone at some point covered this song. <laughs> this was one of those songs that just like everyone wanted to do because it was huge. Yeah. This is the best cover I've ever heard of this. Wow. Did, did he add the little swing there? Um, I don't think he did. Again, at this point, definitely he had very little creative control. Oh, okay, but that's like unique to this version. All right, yeah, here we are. Here we are at the end of the song. I'm sorry, we kind of let you down there. That's the song. Sometimes, sometimes we just keep <sighs> talking. All right, three, two, one. I freaking love this song. Oh yeah, this, I love this song. One of the classics. My Sherry Moore. Oh man. So what year is this one? Comment on this. This was sixty-nine. This is another song that Stevie brought to Barry Gordy, and Gordy said this isn't a hit. What? I'm just hating this guy more and more. (laughs) Yeah, I mean he's important. He made a lot of brilliant decisions to get Motown started, but like I said, at the end of the '60s, he lost his touch. In fact. They went they went so far to shelve this that they made this a B side originally to a far superior or far less superior song. I don't even remember what the A side was. Like <laughs> the, the B side very soon became the A side for people. <laughs> yeah. Because like a B side is almost worse than a deep cut because you put something on a b-side when you have no chance of ever releasing it but what happened was is the disc jockeys that they handed this song out to didn't like the a-side so they flipped it over and said the b-side's so much better and just started playing it and that's how it turned into a hit i think it went to number four on the artist it was like oh they want i feel like it's one of those things where it's like oh they sent this record oh they must have mislabeled it (laughs) yeah (laughs) So yeah, this is the only time I've ever heard of the B side turning into the A side. Man, this song is absolutely amazing. Yeah, when this the is drugs the, cut out. Oh yeah, the you can you can just hear and and he wrote this, so you can hear at this point. One minute remaining. Um, he's starting to become a superior songwriter. Well, and his voice is so on pitch. Uh-huh. Like he's got that vibrato and he does the slides and whatever. But and it's like... like this song is so much more musically complex. Yeah. Not just your simple pop chords. Like this is getting much more sophisticated. Mm. Mm-hmm. These chords are so good. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Just everything. This drum sound is trying to be get recreated right now in a lot of music. Oh yeah. Just the way that it's kind of dry, but I don't know. It's a weird. Mm-hmm. We got about uh, 15 seconds left. I got this next one. I think you put for once in my life on there twice. Did I? Yeah, guys, we're having technical difficulties. Nah, I'm sorry. I'm, not for me. Really? Oh, that's not good. I'm having technical difficulties. Well, I'll just catch up to you then. So never dream you'd leave in summer, guys. So, this is from where I'm coming from, and this was this was released as a single, mm-hmm. and this is kind of one of those songs that it didn't do well at the time, but it's like grown 
in his discography to become like one of his most beloved ballads. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, you can hear that he yeah. is getting much more advanced. Yeah. Like, in a way, like his hooks are becoming simpler, but yet it's at more the powerful. Same. Yes. It's not, it doesn't have the cutesy schmaltiness. It's mm-hmm. like, this is, this is what you, it sounds very 70s. It doesn't feel like this is a 60s Motown soul cut anymore. This yeah. just feels like a great 70s singer-songwriter type song. One thing that's really interesting here is that everything's so dry. Uh-huh. I mean, there's like no reverb on anything. And yet, because that's the first thing I noticed when you said ballad. It's like ballads are usually drenched, like, or at least my ears are... Uh, used to ballads being drenched in reverb and like especially his voice like you reserve that level of just not even processing anything for the best vocalists because Mm -hmm. he has such a good voice that you don't want to mess it up with some effect yeah and he played all these instruments on this one on this album he he played more than he normally did. Like he's okay. definitely still he not played, completely there yet, though. No, it's the next on um, music from my mind. That's the first one that he okay. does. Thing. Man, but this, this is on this. This is the first uh, record where he gets to pretty much have a lot of the creative stay. Yeah, that that big note at the end is just glorious. Mm-hmm. And what year did you say this one was? This was 71. Wow, okay. So he was 21. Mm-hmm. Or 20. Somewhere this around is, there. Yeah, 20, 21. Yeah, this is I music from a seasoned musician. So he you was can, seasoned by this point, though. <laughs> kind of and, operatic in the way that he's singing it. Uh-huh. Oh, he just keeps going. Yeah, that long note at the end is just insane. All right. I'm, in, I'm into the next song now. Sunshine in their eyes. So is this the one right after it on the album? Yes, it is. Well, that's nice. Yep. Man. Look at Church the length board. on this one. Wow. Oh, dear. Uh, Ethan, didn't you predict this one? Uh, I think I I, I predicted... Uh, I think you did. Six. I don't think I got this one. Huh, okay. Oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah, you, you, you predicted. This, at this point now, just the sheer mastery of melody throughout this whole song is just mind-blowing. <laughs> it's just every melody in this song is so incredible. And you can just, you can feel that he is really reaching for a whole other level here. It's just, yeah, he's he's. Re- Forgot about this song. That string climb right there. Oh. These chords are weird. Mm-hmm. But yet, at the same time, it's like it's a, it's not melody that feels super disjointed and and weird. Right. He was always so good at that, of making simple melodies over complex arrangements. Yeah. 
Like you can just sing it still. Listening to song like "You Are the Sunshine of My Life" is one of the strangest chordal songs I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life, and yet it's it's just a normal pop song on you top. You can of still it. sing it. Yeah. You just sing it, and you trust that the chords are going to be there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just this is a song where you can just you can feel the ambition. Yeah. That he's just like, I am not going to make just normal songs like anymore. This is the kind of music I want to make now. Because really, that classic period is so ambitious. It's very – one of the things that surprised me the most is how few songs like Sir Duke are on there toward that are just kind of simple radio songs. Yeah. Like a lot of the songs are like in the six, seven, eight minute range and just do all of these crazy uh, changes. And really, Sunshine in Their Eyes is the big tell of where the classic period was going to go. And that not only do I feel like it fits emotionally as the closer, but I feel like that this is the song that shows where the classic period is going. Yeah, this this emotional change that we just had. Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, and there's another one. Yeah. So did you get to the female voice? Yep. Yeah. So that's his wife at the time. Uh, her name was Sarita Wright. And she was one of his main co-writers during that period. What that's happened nice. to them? Uh, they got divorced. Why? Mm. Uh, because he was a notorious womanizer and cheated on her constantly. Mm. Oh, mom. I'll do it. Yeah, we do it. Don't cheat on your wife, kids. Yeah, as as Megadeth's David Ellison unfortunately learned. Yes. Oh, we're bringing that in. We're bringing that in. Oh, no. and now we're and now we're out of it. <laughs> <laughs> this song, this is one of those songs that I, you can tell that he, in a way, is a little bit overreaching. Some of the transitions yeah. don't one hundred percent work. Yeah, but it. I feel like the 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 strength of the music itself almost overpowers it. You can tell that's a little green. Yeah, you can you don't fault him because it's just like holy crap, he's completely yeah, stretching forward musically. Like it's one of those things you're just like it's okay. This isn't complete yeah. refined because you know that he's going to get there. Yeah, he's not it's still a complete sentence. He's just not dotting his I's and crossing his T's along the way. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, a lot of people at the time of this record came out. That's what they complained of, that it was too ambitious. Yeah. That the, the ideas weren't as fully formed as they could have been. But this is an album that as time has gone on, more people have come back to it and go, this is the sign of what was to come. We just yeah. people didn't know it at that time because they didn't know where Stevie was going. Yeah. They had no idea that they were about to experience one of the greatest runs in music history. Some of these tempo changes are really good. Yeah. Like I mean, some, was... some of them are kind of jarring, but like Ooh, this one was great. Yeah, like that one. If yeah, like mark, it's like the five minute mark. The the whole, all the ideas are there. It's just the execution, mm-hmm. you can tell that he's still figuring it out. But like it doesn't bother me. That is a good melody. And it's going to like really weird chord changes too. Yeah. 
<laughs> so good. <laughs> I forgot all about this song. Yeah, I think that this is this is one of the big dark horses of his catalog. Mm-hmm. Like one of the songs that just m- mm-hmm. not enough people know about this song. Yeah, because man, every single melody in it is just like so strong. It's very anthemic. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, anthemic is a great way of describing it, especially this last part. And these so big trash hats come in. Uh, what is this now? A, a saxophone? Mm, I don't. The big horn section just comes in. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I I don't think I ever really noticed that part because I usually am just singing along at this point. Yeah. Yeah, like, he's like phasing the symbols in and out, kind of. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, it's awesome. It kind of does have that hypnotic, you know, effect because he sings it so many times. Yeah, that it's like it's one of those melodies that's really good and long that you forget about the beginning of it before you get to the beginning again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which just kind of like it's always fresh and yet you feel like you know it, and so you can kind of sing along. There's so many songs in this classic period that do that. (laughs) Yes. Like that's a that's definitely yeah. a blueprint for a lot of songs that he would write soon afterward. Like that's I think of a song like I think of a song like Another Star or um Summer Soft or it's or uh, Love's in Need of Love Today of just these songs that kind of spend their time on like one melody and kind of just hammering it over and over again, but every time you hear it you love it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming at this point the song's over. The yeah. song's over. The song's song. over. So that's our set. Unfortunately. Man. All right. So we'll go ahead and take another break. And when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts and just talk about the set overall. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done with our second segment, which was our six-song set list from Stevie Wonder. Uh, his early period, we had uh, For Once in My Life, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, Blown in the Wind, My Sharia Moore, Never Dreamed. Uh, oh, man, it's not pulling up all the way. <laughs> the title. The title's not pulling up. Never, Never dreamed, dreamed that summer. summer. And then sunshine in their eyes. That's <laughs> our last song. <laughs> We're and keeping that in. We are yeah. in to our final segment, which is final thoughts. This is just at the beginning of the episode. We give our first thoughts, scale of one to ten. And now after hearing such an awesome set list, by the way, Lucas, after hearing such a great set, um, now it's time to, after the history, after the set list, how have our thoughts changed? So Grant, start us off. Final thoughts, go. Seven. And favorite song. Seven. I'm going to start off by saying seven. Seven? Where, where I'm in, at right now. Five to seven is... is usually about as good as it can get. Yeah, that's unless, as good as you, you can start, usually get from a five. Start at like, yeah, from a five, you, you can really only get up to a seven. I, without already being at a seven. Let me tell you, I mean, that first segment was like, it got me interested in Stevie Wonder as a dude. You know? Mm-hmm. Just like... Cool dude. A, as a real bro. And I was like, that's okay. Yeah. 
maybe his music will be all right. And then, you know, we listened to For Once in My Life. I'm like, oh, this is the leading song. Of course, it's going to be good. And I liked it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Sign Sealed Deliver was great. Blowing in the Wind. Once once we listened to Blowing in the Wind, I started to think like, oh, no, what if this is like the end of the good stuff? Because I thought Blowing in the Wind for me personally was like the low point of the set. And then we had those last three songs, which were just like, especially Sunshine in Their Eyes, which is just like top tier songwriting. I thought that was so good. I think that if you're someone like me and you kind of like phoned it in on the first, you know, Stevie Wonder episode, it didn't really pique your interest (laughs) and, you know, didn't try to look further, that where I left sunshine in their eyes was a very good place of like, (laughs) okay, this where I'm coming from stuff is a little weird but maybe i need a little weird you know what i'm saying so that's probably where i'm gonna start um and then later where i'm coming from will be where i'm coming from as far as stevie wonder is concerned um that was a really bad pun i'm so sorry this is where you laugh (laughs) (laughs) but no i'm i i definitely feel like that's where i'm gonna go to that's going to be my next listening. I did listen to Handel's Messiah. I'm not a liar. You know, I did say that I was going to listen to it. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to follow up this time with with that album. And yeah, I'm just at a seven. I think that for my favorite, it's going to be really hard. It's probably either For Once in My Life or Sunshine in Their Eyes. I mean, For Once in My Life is a good song, gets you moving, but like, I am one for weird. Yeah, the ethics. So I'm going to have to go with Sunshine in Their Eyes. Even <laughs> though there are some twists and turns that like I didn't think worked, I still like that they were there. Yeah. And I liked where they ended up. You know. So I'm going to have to say Sunshine in Their Eyes is my favorite. My final thought? All right. I'm, I'm going to say that I moved from a 7 to an 8 just because I didn't realize how many songs that I knew from him. Yeah, I, probably the Catalyst moment, you guys didn't get to hear it, but whenever we were waiting for Grant to get on the the call for the second segment, Lucas had asked me, he's like, hey, what songs do you think are going to be on this? And I kind of went through and I was clicking on some of the records and I was like, oh, you could do this one or, oh man, this one's good. And then as I was going through, I was like, I didn't realize that I, I had... Because Luke was like, had you listened to XYZ record? And I was like, a long time ago. But yeah, <laughs> I had listened to these and I do like them. So I would say I moved from a seven, which are some, there are some songs that you love, like you're kind of more casual fan to an eight where I feel like I like even all the songs on this, I loved them. There, there were, I mean, and even the songs that I loved a little bit less than the other ones I still loved, you know? Um, I would say my favorite song is My Sharia More. It's just so good. It just has so much just I think the songwriting on My Sharia More is the best lyrically and meaning wise but I don't know. There's just it has a lot of emotion just in it mm-hmm. for me but Final Thoughts 7 to an 8 and yeah. that was great. Well thank you. Um, I would say that I probably moved from an eight to a nine. 
Oh yeah, because you got you went through and listened to everything. Yes, except for past songs in the key of life, but I'll get there. Yeah. Um, man, getting that whole chunk of that first segment, I didn't realize how much music was there until I started, and I was just yeah. like, "This is this is a lot." Like, I still listen to like eighteen albums. Let me let me see if I have the number of how long the ranked playlist is. <laughs> it's still thirteen hours, stopping at songs in the key of life. That's so <laughs> much more than so many artists have ever written. Yes. <laughs> So um, I feel, but I feel like I have heard most of the essential listening of his at this point. And man, there, except for like the stuff at the very beginning when he's not really able to use his creative genius or hasn't fully yeah. formed it, like most of this stuff I would want to listen to. I yeah. found myself just like, and even going back to the classic period and just like, I appreciate it more now after hearing all this Mm -hmm. it's like it's like a really good prequel that doesn't um undermine the the original yeah it but it gives you everything that you need to know because you can literally hear everything that is so great at the classic period be introduced during this it's like it's like in a good prequel where you get all of the meaning behind all the things that you see, but it doesn't cheapen it. It enhances it. Yeah. And then there's also just stuff from there that I'm just like, I legitimately love this and would listen to it. Like where I'm coming from is a legitimately great record. Oh. And um Yeah, I would say that a nine because I've I've know a good portion of the music pretty well at this point, and uh, I'm finding that many of these songs I will intentionally seek out to listen to. My favorite song, it's between like i have a long history of loving for once in my life mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the first stevie songs that really ever hooked me but sunshine in their eyes i had never heard it before and that's the one that surprised me the most yeah. how much i loved it and i think i gotta go with that because yeah. it's just it's one of those songs that just i listen to it and it not only do i love it by itself but it makes me love what comes forward more because I can see. Yeah. I it's can like see a the weird glimpse into the future. Yes. And and that aspect, I think that that kind of puts it over the top. Although in the ranked playlist, it is just one behind for once in my life. <laughs> so let's talk about where everything oh, yeah. on the ranked playlist. And I'll also uh, mention where everything in the previous episode landed as well to kind of give you a good snapshot. Okay. What's so, um, are we gonna play? Are we gonna guess which one the worst or the best ones are? I think we'll just go ahead and and just run through them. All right. Bring All right. Uh, Blowing in the wind is the weakest one, but it's still great. Yeah. Um, I put it at number thirty-three. Oh wow. That's ridiculous. That's got to be a strong top 33. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is. Like, you're in the 60s, and you're just like, this is still really good. Um, 
then after that would have been I'm trying to see where everything to make sure I don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. After that would be never dreamed you'd leave in summer, which okay was at twenty five number eighteen. Wow. Then uh, my Sharia Moore at fifteen. Sign sealed delivered at twelve. Sunshine in the rise at eleven, and for once in my life, cracked the top ten mm. at number ten. So we still have the top nine. Well, yes, I guess we had some of it in the first episode. Yes, yeah, so the first episode um, had um, Boogie on Reggae Woman, which was at number sixteen. Um, then higher ground at number six. Wow. I wish at I wish at number five. Visions at number four. Superstition at number two, and living for the city at number one. Wow. Yeah, living for the city. I forgot about that, dude. That song is so ridiculous. I gotta listen to it then. Inner Visions. So, from where I'm coming from, is the album you should listen to to get into the early period. But Inner Visions is where you should start in the classic period. Okay. Even though I would say Songs in the Key of Life is the best one, it's also a double record. Yeah. And that's. And making your way from. Oh, man. I my thing is just like making your way from um oh shoot what are you, what are you talking uh, about? I I've blanked out making your way from talking book to songs in the key of life is a ridiculous yeah cuz I would say talking book even though it's great it, it's not comp- it's a little uneven you okay. can tell that there's some things he's still getting better at, but then yeah, superstition is on there. Superstition is it, yeah. Again, it's it's number two. It's it's a masterpiece song. So that's that's why it's like whenever I think of, I guess for some reason in my mind, talking book is a part of the like the the great period of. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I just think that inner inner visions to me is the one Stevie Wonder record that, like, is pretty much perfect from start to finish. Yes, that is true. Although, I think that Songs in the Key of Life is the grander achievement just because of how huge it is. The only thing with it is that towards the end, it gets a little weak. But, good lord, like... And I would even say, because really, it's more than a double record. It's a double record plus an EP. He had but so uh, Inner Visions is stacked. Yeah. Golden but, Lady, Higher Ground. Yeah. Um, too High. He's Mr. He's, Know-It-All's on yeah. there. Uh, but then, I mean, you look at Songs of Key of Life. I Wish, Sir Duke, As, Isn't She Lovely contusion is one of those songs that like you listen to and you're just like this is amazing yeah it's like the weird start of weird jazz funk yeah pastime paradise joy inside my tears like it's just it's so good 
So we also got to talk about uh, Harry Thick. So uh, Harry loves Stevie Wonder, my my four year old son, and he always listens to the songs with me as I'm researching. Um, his favorite was "Signed, Sealed, Delivered." Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean it's it's "Signed, Sealed, Delivered." Now his his favorite Stevie Wonder song in general though is "Higher Ground." Yeah, yeah, Harry. <laughs> and he also uh, loved Sir Duke. But as far as the songs that were on this episode, um, "Sign Seal Delivered" was his favorite. Hearing him sing that line is hilarious. <laughs> oh man! And. That is our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this was this was a super fun episode to make and to research. So uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Next week, oh, next week we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite groups. And one that I'm not quite sure how much either of you guys know about but that I am sure that you guys are going to really, really enjoy. Oh, that's awesome. Excited. So this, it's going to be really, really fun. Um, and make sure to hit us up on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook. Let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future. We do try and uh, at least once a month do an artist that you guys ask for. So we do listen to your recommendations. We want you guys to be involved in the conversation and uh, make sure to also leave us a review. That's another way you can let us know what artists that you would like to hear. And then we've got two links in the description of the episode. One of them is going to take you to that Spotify playlist where if you didn't listen to them while we were kind of giving our commentary, then uh, make sure you go check out these songs. Even if you've heard them before, hearing them in this context, in this order it adds another level of appreciation. And then uh, the other link is going to take you to our Patreon page where we have early. We're about to do our segment on Stevie Wonder's six worst songs. So if you want to hear us talk about that, make sure to go check that out. And that's it. We'll see you next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music. Good music.